Welcome back, friends. We are super excited today to bring you an exclusive conversation with our very own VP of engineering, Bhavani. And she has had over a decade of experience building and leading teams of engineers. We also get into a little uh, stint she did as a product manager, which Taylor and I didn't even know about. So that's a super exciting conversation just about kind of trying out different tracks. And ultimately, all of these different experiences led to her being an amazing leader. And she is sharing all of her knowledge with us on today's episode. Yeah, it was so awesome. And it's just like, so cool to have a candid conversation with the literal VP of engineering. Like, I wonder how many people have those kind of conversations with, with people at that level in their company. It's just, and and the fact that she just lifts us up so much and is like, so proud and, and um, like on board with the podcast, it's just so refreshing and nice to have her in our corner. Um, so looking forward to y'all hearing that episode. Um, I've launched a new LinkedIn uh, series <laughs> because, you know, on the quest what to become viral, on what we're doing on LinkedIn, <laughs> on the quest to become viral, all I do is stay on LinkedIn. Um, and, and, and like the reason we're on LinkedIn is because like this, these are professional, like what we're doing is like a professional, like, you know, help, help to women. Like, I feel like that's where our best audience is. Like if I post this on Instagram, it's like, my random friends from college or like, you know, other friends that are like not even in tech. So anyway, that's why we're spending all our time or I am, I'm just on there all the time, but my new series is entitled, uh, what did I call it? <laughs> it's creepy, entitled, creepy DMs. <laughs> yeah. It's entitled, um, exposing my creepy DMs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What well, it's not loading right now. Um, yeah. Exposing my creepy DMs. Um, no, sorry. Exposing creeps in my DMS. Um, yeah, so I very, launched- very different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I released part one today. So check it out on LinkedIn. Um, and it's a fun one and it's a, it's a two-parter it's, it spanned over the course of a week. Some man that's a CEO at a company I've never heard of wrote on May 3rd. I'm pretty sure it's not the right channel to talk about it but you're the most fascinating senior iOS engineer I've ever encountered, encountered emoticon smiley face. So just like colon uh, parentheses. So it makes it even creepier and refer to episode number two mm-hmm. about emojis that you shouldn't send to women. This one's yeah. on it for sure. When it's not even like the emoticon, it's like the, it's, what is this called? Unicode? I don't know. Like just it's a wink. Character wink is not yeah. appropriate in a professional <laughs> setting, ladies it's and not gentlemen. A, it is it's not, not like appropriate, <laughs> and it is not well received. It's not like a yellow smiley face like that. That's a little more disarming. This is like just creepy, like the colon. So, um, so yeah, okay. On the surface, this doesn't sound like super overt, like nasty, crazy harassment. But I got to tell you, when I get messages like this with those smiley faces, and it says something like. I'm not, I'm sure this is not the right channel to talk about it. I know that this is not professional. I know what you're trying to do. And like, it just gives me like a sick feeling in my stomach. I can't even explain it. And it's really hard. I'm sure for guys who like, maybe think this sounds like a compliment. Um, it's not, I didn't take it as a compliment, especially since he does not know me. He didn't, it's not like he referenced you know, you're, you're fascinating. I love what you've been posting. It's not like he's referencing my work product or any of the things I've posted, which there are many he could have referenced. So anyway, that was pretty gross. So what did I do? I didn't respond because I am a classy lady and I didn't, didn't want to get into it. And today he decided to reach back out at 3 45 AM saying, keep ignoring another smiley face, that same smiley face. And then good luck. Hmm. 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 So also like, this is not, maybe not the appropriate channel. Like what, what is the appropriate channel, sir? Like only fans. I think that, <laughs> I think that you could have stopped yourself after that. Yeah. Like how about if you thought to yourself, Hmm, 
LinkedIn is probably not the right channel to talk about this. Okay. I will not send this message on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. That is how logic works. Um, so as the, as the kids these days say, I woke up and chose violence and posted this on LinkedIn for everyone to see, you know, that phrase, Monica, no, <laughs> probably none of our listeners will either. Cause our listeners are not like young, uh, Gen Zers, but whatever it's, how do you, how do you know that phrase? TikTok? Oh, of course. TikTok. Okay. Yeah, um, cool. so I woke up and chose violence. And I decided to post this on LinkedIn for everyone to see. It's going pretty viral. I just posted this morning. We got 11,000, almost 12,000 views. Oh, We've got a lot of comments. People really seem to love uh, these types of posts where men are rude or creepy to us, um, mm-hmm. which I don't know what that says. Um, I, I was also like really polite and I, I uh, scratched out his I, I saw that. That was I like, know. like very... Kind of those high quality, like editing, like fo- Photoshopping. <laughs> Is that Photoshop? Even, no, it wasn't even Photoshop. It was just like when you take a screenshot, just options pop up and you can like use a paint tool. Um, wow. I'm going to endorse you for graphic design on your LinkedIn. Cause oh that God, was, can you, can you please? <laughs> um, I know it's pretty you, and I And I will say Taylor, you are the most fascinating graphic designer I've ever met. Oh. <laughs> Smiley face. Wink. <laughs> But also I just love, like, um, I I wrote this in the post, uh, that like, so he says, keep ignoring smiley face. Like, uh, yes, sir. Your wish is my command. I will keep ignoring (laughs) this. And it's also just like, if you decide to give me a compliment, like the reason, frankly, I didn't respond to this because I knew it wasn't a compliment. I knew it was like a creepy come on, but whenever people do give me genuine compliments or, or like praise me for my work, I respond because that's nice. They took time out of their day to say something nice. This was not the case here. No, um, no, no. And like, if you, even if, even if it is, you have the best intentions and you are saying something nice, I, I, I don't owe you anything. I don't owe you a response just because you no. decided to do something no. that's like of your own volition. I don't, I don't need to say anything. Like I don't owe you anything. So, um, and you also don't need his permission to quote unquote, keep ignoring like that almost annoys me even more because that's what you were going to do regardless. You don't need his okay to not respond. And the fact that he yeah. went out of his way to like a week later, that, follow up. Oh, it just, it lights me up. Let me tell you. Have you been checking every day waiting for my response, sir? Like also, why did he say good luck? What, what, what luck do I need? You don't need luck because you are strong and smart and capable. (laughs) Oh, another, another, um, another even just spicier aspect to this is that I actually reported this as harassment on LinkedIn, which sounds, it sounds like, again, I'm like, is he harassing me? He is harassing me. Like it only happened twice, but this is harassment, like Mm -hmm. unwanted, unwanted, um, attention, clearly not like not stopping kind of like now seems to be a little uh, perturbed and mad at me and like demanding a response. So I, I reported as harassment because that seemed the most applicable of the options mm-hmm. to report someone. Mm-hmm. And then I get immediately back. It's almost like this was automated. It's almost like they search for maybe like keywords or swear words or discriminatory. Like maybe, yeah, it seems like it wasn't actually like that because it was immediate, but it says, thank you again for your report. Our trust and safety team reviewed blah, blah, blah's message thoroughly and found it did not violate our professional community policies. We understand that this message was not what you wanted to see on LinkedIn. You can manage, <laughs> like, like you can manage the types of messages you receive and block members who don't want to message you. I can't manage, I can't manage a random person sending me this. It's not like I said, it's not like I reported a recruiter for reaching out to me. Like this was not in mail. Uh, Yeah. And then the last line is we appreciate you bringing this to our attention and encourage you to continue to do so in the future. Why the heck am I going to continue to do this? You didn't do jack shit. Yeah. I'm so confused. So then I chose violence again by posting this reply, um, from LinkedIn. Um, and I said, update LinkedIn doesn't find this to violate their policies. No wonder this continues to happen to so many of us. So hopefully, and I tagged LinkedIn, but Ooh, I don't think, LinkedIn, I don't think, what are you going to do? Your move LinkedIn. 
Oh my God. It's so frustrating. Also. Okay. My one last LinkedIn activity from the week that I'm going to call out is I just saw this like awesome girl posted something, um, about how she just, uh, got her master's of science in computer science and her post, the first line of her post says, I failed my first CS class at Brown. And then like how she became, how she went on to get her master's in computer science. And like, what a cool post. Like it's exactly the embodiment of what we preach here. Like every, you know, success comes like you passions will build mastery will come. So I commented on, and then I was just perusing the other comments on here. And she said, one of the things she said was she graduated her master's with a 4.0 and some losery loser comments. Oh my God. Comments. You cannot fail and truly have a 4.0, but I guess you retook the class. Why is this necessary? How, how is this comment serving literally anyone? Also like, thanks Einstein. None of us know how, like none of us know how GPAs work. Like shut the F up. I wrote, (laughs) I wrote, yikes. What a losery comment and tags. <laughs> and the girl liked it. I was just cracking myself up today because I was being like so savage at everyone. Oh, that my is God. so great. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like we should get on Twitter. I feel like that would be a really good forum for us too. We should make an imposter just, Twitter. No, I will. I will. Um, that's my next, that's my next on my to-do list, but it's like so hard to build a following. Oh my God. I'm choking. I know. <laughs> so hard to build a following from scratch. So, but you're right. You're right. I think, I think I could do some, I could do some damage on there. So, um, yeah, like God, everyone needs to just chill out and stop being a weirdo, but I'm going to continue this series of creeps in my DMS. And I already have one queued up, um, Mm -hmm. less of a creep, but more of just like rude and annoying. Um, so yeah, that's an exciting new, uh, (laughs) new segment, new segment coming your way. So stay tuned. (laughs) Oh, uh, I'll, go, I'll go through my like arsenal and see if I have anything good to please do. Please do. I would love to crowdsource you. this. Hey, listeners, you got creepy DMs. I want them. I want to see them. Yep. I'll post them anonymously and and scratch out their photo and uh name just to mm-hmm. be polite because we're polite. Um I didn't have yep. to do that. I didn't have to do that. Polite violence. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, honestly, like if someone said something crazy, I would fully expose them. Like if it's nuts, like I will go for it. But if it's a little nuts, like it, on the nut spectrum, if it's low, um, you get, you get a little bit of grace from me, but it just depends yeah. how I feel. Depends. And you blocked, you blocked this person anyway. So I did, I did. I blocked him. Yeah. So he's going to get his wish of me keeping, ignoring him. Yeah. <laughs> Well, once again, this is completely off topic from what our episode actually entails, but I hope you appreciate these uh, extended weekly recaps of, uh, you know, what Taylor's doing on LinkedIn to promote (laughs) our brand. Yeah. I mean, I certainly enjoy telling them. So I hope, uh, I hope you all do too. We're just trying this out, you know, constantly evolving, constantly learning. We don't have all the answers. That's one of the themes we go over in this episode. And yes. we are open to feedback and figuring out what works for us yeah. and for you, but mostly for us. So, <laughs> so with that, <laughs> enjoy this episode. Bye. Bye. All right. So today we have Bhavani. Um, Bhavani is our beloved VP of engineering at Headspace, and we've gotten to know her so well over the past couple of years now. Um, and I'm personally, I'm so grateful to have her just as an example of a woman in engineering leadership. It's really important for us to be able to see, um, you know, that path to leadership as women. And, um, I'll give her a professional intro cause she's a professional lady and she deserves that. But, um, uh, so Bhavani has been leading engineering and technical teams for over a decade. She's supported teams solving a range of diverse and complex problems at multiple companies. And currently, we're fortunate to have her as our very own VP of engineering at Headspace. Outside the office, she remains committed to promoting women in technical leadership and co-founded the LA-based group Women in Tech, Part of Tech. Welcome, Bhavani. Hey, it's so nice to be with both of you here. 
you both are such amazing, amazing ladies and engineers and what you're doing for the community and speaking your voice and your authenticity is just so inspiring and contagious. So thank you. And we have to thank you for the shout outs, the shout outs that you've been giving us in our, um, like all engineering emails, you're really lifting us up there. So I feel like we're all kind of looking out for each other in this, this world of being a, you know, woman in engineering. So we're so happy to have you. Um, and I really want to dive into kind of the beginnings of your career and, and obviously how you got here, but, um, you really launched your career at Microsoft. So you were first a software engineer, um, later becoming a principal engineering manager. And my question is, did you always know that you wanted to go into management or was this something that you kind of decided over time? Like when was that turning point? Yeah, it's so interesting. I don't think I'm a planner as such. There are people who are very organized about their career and what they want to get out. Um, I don't think I'm that person. I I try to go with the flow uh, more so. And when I started, um, I was just excited about uh, solving problems and, um, you know, seeing the end user impact. And uh, over time, I started uh, seeing myself as someone who was able to connect the dots, being able to implicitly bring people together, uh, being able to tie it back to the end user um, and simplify that talking points um, and communication among the people. And that's when I realized that, you know, I can kind of, you know, see myself more as a managerial uh, path because of the breadth and people connection. Um, And that's kind of where um, I implicitly started taking on more projects, driving them, and then uh, eventually becoming a manager. Yeah, well, you seem like such a natural leader. Bhavani, and I know though that between being a, an IC uh, software engineer and becoming a manager, it's such a different skill set that you need, and also not one that you can obviously find about with by reading like documentation necessarily. There's books about it, but so much just has to be sort of personal development and practice. And I think that as a manager, you also have to get used to kind of being uncomfortable and having some uncomfortable conversations from time to time. So was there ever a time when you wished or considered switching back to being an individual contributor? Like when you were just becoming a manager, um, did you have any doubts and sort of like what, what kept you going? I think a, um, there's definitely challenges. There's definitely learnings. Uh, I have learned myself and matured um, as a manager, as a leader, um, made a lot of mistakes. Uh, and I think, but I don't think those deterred me to get away from management. Um, I think the joy of, you know, seeing people flourish and being there to support them is, is super satisfying. But I did switch over to becoming an IC. Um, and that was not for kind of shying away from the challenges or areas but um, I, I was managing multiple teams at Microsoft engineering teams. And I saw myself as eventually kind of a leader of multiple disciplines, product engineering design. And so I wanted to try out product manager. And um, I, I was like, if I'm gonna be leading product and engineering, then I want to be able to be in those shoes so I can have more empathy. I can know better how to, you know, uh, manage that uh, function. And so I was like, let me, uh, you know, switch over to product management. And it was fascinating. I was talking to some of my mentors and um, they were like, are you sure you want to do that? You're such a great engineering leader. You have a great trajectory, a velocity. Why do you want to do that? You're going to be compared with all the, at Microsoft, there was this whole calibration and comparison and performance reviews and all. So they're like, you're going to be evaluated against all these senior most product managers, and it's not going to go well with you. And I was like, thinking about that. And I was like, for me, it's more important to learn and make these mistakes down right now at these levels, because every as you grow, the bar just gets bigger and bigger. 
And so I was like, that's fine. If it doesn't work out, I'll switch back. But this is what is helping me to get the experience that I want. And so I did switch. Uh, It was a fascinating experience. But when I shifted, it it was weird how implicitly I was carrying that I, I don't, uh, the burden is not the right word, but the the accountability of people management is huge. And for me, it, I, it's, it's something that I take it very personally because it's the lives at stake. Like the people that you're managing, they have their family lives. If you don't create a culture and foster happiness, growth, et cetera, or cause stress, then that's rubbing into their families or their livelihoods, et cetera. So for me, I hadn't realized that implicitly that accountability was so high that when I became an IC, I was like, oh, now I, <laughs> I have more freedom kind of a thing. Um, so it was an interesting uh, journey. Um, so I, was, I did product management for a couple of uh, years. And then I switched, uh, I had to, uh, uh, I was moving for a family uh, situation and the role that I took up then had um, engineering as well as dotted line product management. So I think those experiences uh, were super interesting and it helped me to become a better leader down the line and be a better stakeholder uh, collaborator as well. Um, So I think it's as long as you're knowing what, what are you looking for in that next opportunity or what is the specific experience you want to get out of it, um, then it's always, uh, you know, uh, good to try it out. I want to circle back to something you said about making that transition, because I actually didn't realize that you had spent time as an IC and as a PM. Um, That is fascinating. And you said something very subtle, but I think very powerful that I want to make sure we can highlight for the listeners which was you went into the role knowing and almost like embracing that you were going to make mistakes and that you weren't going to be perfect at it and that you were even okay with being evaluated against these senior PMs who had probably been in product management for what, like 10 plus years and that you weren't necessarily going to like be better than them or, or be, or you might be evaluated more harshly against them just because they had more experience and that you, you know, that not only didn't deter you, it made, it was just all part of the experience that you were looking to have. It's almost like you wanted to not to fail, but you wanted to make mistakes because you understand that that is really the only way to learn. Um, and, and I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you were going more into this role with, um, such a, viewpoint of curiosity as opposed to fear or intimidation. Yeah. Yep. Totally. And I think this is where it's also, I I was really also lucky to get a good manager uh, who I was having that candid discussion with them. Right. So they know also, um, and there was both advantages and disadvantages uh, or pros and cons that you bring to the table that, yeah, I had the engineering background so it helped that I could, you know, relate more to the engineers. Uh, but at the same time, knowing that I'll need more help in these other areas that I'm going to be grooming for, or that I'll be touching point with more mentors, et cetera, or catching myself if I saw myself going into one side more versus the other. So I think that consciously being aware and having those discussions with the people whom you're working for was actually really helpful to set the stage right and set the right uh, expectations. It's super odd, though, that your manager was telling you that you were going to be compared to uh, the most senior PMs. Like, why would that even be the case as you switch over? That, like, that it's just a weird, I guess it's, I appreciate the candidness, but like, why would that be the case? Like, why that we talk about that all the time? Like, don't compare yourself to people that have 10 plus experience. That there's no, that's just not helpful. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was my mentor, but, but mm-hmm. Taylor, that is kind of going to be some amount of reality in the sense mm-hmm. that when there are discussions happening, people are looking at, hey, this is the expectations of a principal product manager. Mm-hmm. And now the person is coming in doing some of those in a newbie category. 
So the bar is still going to be the same. And how are you doing and delivering against those? And so I think that's kind of where the, the mindset and discussion was. And I think there are different ways to tread that basically, whether you're kind of saying, okay, there are some projects that are going to be of this category where this person is more comfortable for, there's this project that are going to be this category. So I think in hindsight, I could have done some more, you know, <laughs> manage my expectations and things better rather than saying, okay, I'm taking it on, but kind of set myself also up for success. I think there could there definitely, there could be ways that uh, could have been a better navigation system. But I think it's 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 a lot about perception and what people expect uh, of based on just the the title and role. Yeah, and it seems like they were they were actually giving you a role that maybe you weren't totally qualified for. So like trusting in your previous experiences, and that's what we talk about all the time. Like you know, even within like internal mobility is is always an option, or maybe you don't have all the qualifications. But if someone really likes working with you and knows you have certain qualities you can kind of make that lateral move. So, so that's really smart. And that I, I, I think about doing something similar a lot. I like don't have the guts. Cause I was told I would have to start at like the very bottom rung to like as a product manager. So I kind of was like, okay, no, thanks. I'm not, I'm not like restarting my career again, <laughs> but no, but it is, I, I think it's so important to have. And like, I find this with, with women leaders so often is like, we really want to know our stuff. So we want to get experience in all of these realms, even if it may be uncomfortable and clearly it's made you such a better asset to every company you went to thereafter. So kudos to you. <laughs> no, I, I think what you mentioned is, is super critical, right? That when you change some of the function, you have to take the person's industry experience into play, right? You can't, ex- because that experience is super vital. They are in one function, but they're working so closely with all the other functions that they know what is expected, what is the trigger. Yeah, they don't have the full experience of doing it, but they have seen it from the other side such that you can't discredit that. You just have to make sure that you have given enough time to help them set those up or even have projects that will help them try it out, whether this is applicable. And I think one of the things that I see even in our group here that we've done is we are setting that bar for people to say it's okay to try out and if it doesn't work out it's okay to switch it like so people don't have to overthink that oh my gosh they have to they're committed and this is a one-way road like when I see cases in our uh, teams where managers who are like now I want to become an IC and I want to go more deep on technical or architecture we've had great successful TLs who have like yeah I've I want now kind of, I've been too much on the breath. I want to focus more on kind of getting my technical chops again. And we've enabled those shifts such that now it makes it easy for people to say, it's okay for me to switch and be flexible about it. And I think that's the biggest thing I was trying to get at is for people to not have to overthink and be committed to one path. Because when they do these navigations, it helps them have empathy for these different roles. Like ICs who have tried TLs and now they want to go more IC, they have a different level of empathy for the TLs. They have a different understanding of how they can be better ICs as well. And I think these are all the different experiences that I want to make sure that people can try out and have that safe environment to not worry that, okay, this is going to put you down a couple of years in your career. No, it's going to actually, I would say that I, I look for like, these are the people who are taking risk. These are the people who have more kind of well-rounded experience that will actually help them succeed even better down their uh, career because now they have this mixed uh, craftsmanship in their toolbox. But yeah, like, especially if you're going to be the VP of engineering or you're going to be a CTO, like, guess what? Actually, yeah, being a CTO. Yeah, you have to basically be responsible for um, engineering and product a lot of the time. And product is a huge piece of it. And also those two, as we all know so well, we can like butt heads with each other a lot of time because we want to take our time and build nice things so we don't have to rebuild them. Right. 
but you know, product is answering more to like the business needs and want to get things out faster and also run a bunch of experiments and, you know, see what sticks. So it's, it's a huge, huge plus to have someone in leadership who really understands and empathizes with the needs of both teams and can help sort of find that middle ground. Um, and I know that we, you mentioned before the one of the things you find the most rewarding about being a manager is really seeing people thrive and flourish in their roles. But what's the hardest thing? Like what, what is the piece that like keeps you up at night? I think, I think it's like, how could I be a psychologist or psychiatrist <laughs> to, uh, to understand people um, and um, be able to know what is motivating them, what is, uh, you know, um, holding them back, et cetera. Um, and I think that is, is the true thing. So it's, it, I literally feel like all managers should go through those coaching therapies, et cetera, so they can be better coaches um, to their uh, people. Because I was just talking to someone else, um, whether it's a mentee or a, a, a team member, it was, it was trying to having that person unlock you know, what is, what is the capability that is holding them back? And so they were giving an example of, hey, this is what I'm trying to get at. And what should I be doing? And trying to kind of help him. I was like trying to be very mindful of why's, what's kind of helping draw, bringing him along rather than saying, this is what it is. And he came to the same conclusion that I would have said it. But when he discovered it in his own words, you could see the aha moment in him. Like that learning, he, it will stick with him. Versus if I would have just given it out and told him, yeah, do this. I'm sure he might follow it, but it won't have the same effect because he's not understood the whys he need to do that. He might be just doing it because this person has done it. Maybe that's why I'll you know, look at that wise advice and do it. But that doesn't stick. And I think that's what it is with people is how do you figure that out? What's sticking them? How do you help them discover it themselves? And how do you believe in them to say that, no, you can do it, go for it. And when you see those things unlock, it's just amazing how they can just, you know, be those creative and curious and, um, you know, uh, energy uh, spreaders. Yeah, something I admire about you so much is how much you just actually care about everyone. And and across the organization, like everyone agrees that Bhavani is like incredible with people, like just knows how to get the best out of people, like you were saying. And and you're open to having like, you know, one-on-one walks with, with anyone, like, like I can put a walk on your calendar. And I've, I've, I, you know, look back on times where we've walked and I've talked about my goal aspirations and like, you just really want to make you, you know, even if it's not maybe the direct like job rec- description, if it's something that's going to help develop the person, maybe in a different way, professionally um, or personally, like you're always looking out for those opportunities. And it's so important because I don't feel like, like, I feel like we need more leaders like that, that, you know, aren't just like, okay, are you hitting your, you know, goals for your job? Are you finishing your tickets? Are you doing this? Like, it's about the whole person. And when you get them bought in, they're going to do much better work for you. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's where you, how do you listen to them and how do you motivate them? It's um, I love that uh, quote. I'm sure I'm not quoting it right, but um, they say that uh, you don't uh, tell them to build a boat, uh, but you tell them to yearn for the sea. And so mm-hmm. how do you as leaders, how do you I'll send you the. <laughs> 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 um, but how do you as leaders just show them where where we are going? And that way, just have them be able to bring their curious minds and their creativity to try out. And I feel like this is where I feel leadership is an art because you are bridging the needs of your team along with the needs of the company. And there has to be, how do you be more transparent so for people can see that, yeah, they're going to get those different experiences they want while reaching the business and 
customer outcomes. So it is a partnership. And as leaders, how do we facilitate uh, that? And how do we create an environment where people are there to support uh, each other? And I think, as, as you said, it's it's so critical for leaders to walk their talk and put the people first. Like, I'm really very happy that even our managers um, in my team right now, they're all putting the company and, you know, customer and people first, rather than just saying, you know, my team, et cetera. And you have to foster that and you have to kind of see in the pockets where that's not happening to cross correct quickly. And I think that's where I feel like even people like both, you know, Taylor, you and Monica, you have been a huge help in fostering this kind of culture by being brave and bubbling up in pockets where you saw there were some perceptions or biases and how we could do more education to nip them right at the start rather than having to uh, live with it. Speaking of biases, um, I do I do want to make sure that we get uh, can dive in a little bit into times that maybe imposter syndrome has shown up in in your life um, and how you have faced it. So, as you know, a woman not only in tech but in technical leadership, and I'm sure managing teams of predominantly men, uh, were there times that you felt especially challenged or even disrespected? because you were a woman in leadership and how, how did you face that? How did you overcome it? Um, I think I have faced it. I have had experiences which are jaw dropping as I grew into more leadership roles. And I was, I thought I was so naive. Like you guys have so much self-awareness. I'm just hats off. I was like so naive and I was (laughs) more junior (laughs) and, um, I think that's kind of where it caught me by surprise more when I was seeing those situations um, happen with me or people around me. And I think it was, it was again, kind of, I'm a person who is half positive, half full glass kind of. And it was, it was really people have the right intent, but the biases of the society is what kind of creates this layer of perception, which surfaces in different ways. And as a result, yeah, minority represented people get the most affected. Um, I've had cases where someone is like, you come across too assertive, or um, I'm like, I have my viewpoint, but I'm open to other people. And then someone else will be like, oh, but um, you need to be more assertive. So you can never please people one way or the other, but um, I was really, uh, you know, surprised and glad at the same time because one of the persons who was like, do you come across as assertive? They were like, I wouldn't have made that comment to a guy. And so this is what it shows that how people have preconceived notions of how to perceive leaders from different, you know, backgrounds or representation. And that does hinder because we'll never be able to check off and be everything that the other person perceives of. Um, But what this results in is it creates this, you know, uh, implicit uh, doubt in us, uh, or at least in me. And it comes from this universal feelings of doubt because of magnified exclusion and chronic battles with uh, systemic bias and racism. And, uh, even when women do demonstrate strength, ambition, and resilience are daily battles with microaggressions, especially expectations and assumptions forced by these stereotypes often push us down. So I, I do have my doubts at every aspect. I am just as human and still the same person who was there when I was uh, younger as a, a junior engineer. Um, and uh, I have to constantly uh, you know, silence the voice in there to, you know, stop the negative trash, stop the negative talk and, uh, you know, instill more confidence with reminding myself of, you know, I don't have to live to other people's expectations and uh, I am, you know, good at this and I can, you know, I don't have to serve to other people's uh, demands. 
So it is it is a constant thing. It is not easy, but it has at the same time there is hope. And that's the reason why, you know, I love what you both are doing because you guys are bringing that voice and visibility to all the male allies who want to help out but don't know how to. Um so yeah, it is it is it is interesting. Yeah, and, and the thing you said about people having good intentions, it it like does the hardest thing about this is that it's not that people have like really malicious intentions. And that almost makes it worse because they don't realize what they're doing is hurtful. And so you don't feel like you can say anything. So you kind of just swallow it and you're like, okay, I was actually just, just resurrected an old message I got from a, a recruiter, like right when I started engineering and I just sent it to Monica and it was something like, Hey, I just noticed you, um, graduated from a coding boot camp and wanted to talk to you if you're open to other roles. And on the next line, it said, by the way, are you really a software developer? Question mark. Like what? And that was, that was like five years ago. And it still, I knew it, it pops into my mind every now and then I knew exactly where to find it. My LinkedIn messages five years ago, scrolling all the way down. And it really stuck with me. Like you in a, in an, email where you're trying to recruit me simultaneously, like questioning if I even do this job, like based on what, like, what are, why are you asking that question? Would a guy ever receive that question? Are you really a software engineer? No, like, and it's just so, and that, I mean, that kind of sentiment sticks with me always. Cause I feel like I get that surprised reaction from people just in everyday life, like asking what I do. Be like, Oh, wow. Really? Oh, it's like, can you stop? Can you stop acting so surprised? Like, I, it's not a compliment to me. Like, yep. oh, wow, I'm an, like a, a girl, the en- female engineer that has like, maybe is more like outgoing than a lot of engineers. Like that's, it's not a compliment. It's like, it's constant, that constant, like microaggression of being surprised when a woman is in that position. It's like, ooh, it's like a gut punch. Yeah. Wait, Taylor, can you also, can we also talk about your other LinkedIn message. <laughs> the one from today. Recently. So I'm yeah. starting Bhavani. I'm starting, um, I'm starting a series on LinkedIn called exposing the creepy DMS that I get, <laughs> um, on LinkedIn, because like you should, it's not like it's Instagram or something where I'm, you know, welcoming DMS from people. Like it's like a professional site. So I got one, I posted it. We're, we're really trying to like have a viral moment over here, um, for the podcast, but it was like, uh, last week he messaged me. Oh shoot. I blocked him. So it, Oh, but I have, I have a, a screenshot in the post. So he, he, he's the CEO of something. And he messaged me last week. I'm pretty sure it's not the right channel to talk about it, but you're the most fascinating senior iOS engineer I've ever encountered. Smiley face. Like what does that even mean? Like, and that's it. That That's all it is. There's and that was it. I didn't respond. Cause it felt it felt kind of creepy. It felt a little like on the verge, you know, not totally, totally explicit. And then today, a week later, he goes, keep ignoring smiley face. Good luck. <laughs> like- <laughs> wow. That is so, so creepy. And, and this is, this is the kind of things, right? Like when but it's not like here- crazy, he's not being like, you know, super explicit or crazy. But when I receive a message like this, I'm like, like it, it, I have like a feeling of actual disgust go through my entire body. And I feel like men don't understand. Like if you hear this message, it doesn't sound crazy, terrible, but you know, I know exactly what your intentions are when you're sending me a message like that, especially when you say, I'm pretty sure it's not the right channel to talk about it. What do we, what do you think we're going to talk about, sir? And, and think of the thing that worries me is when we see these pocket of microaggressions that are popping up, there are so many of those that are implicitly not popping up, but they are making those decisions implicitly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that is what limits the under minority represented group because some of these are not even coming up. Um, there was another uh, thing that I was noticing where in, you know, in one of the areas, uh, one of the uh, peers, a woman was asking for something uh, in their group. And it was like, I heard some, guy make a comment of whiny I'm like seriously like when the guy asked that's fine but 
when a woman, luckily HR was there in that room as well, and they caught it and kind of cross-corrected some of that. But I'm just saying that some of these with just pockets of things surface, there's so much going on under that iceberg that we don't even know and that doesn't even surface up because they, they might be in different constraints. But the, the big thing that worries me is, I was just talking to this with the, one of the one of my friends. It's like the funnel, okay? Like um, you have at the top, the opportunity funnel, right? Like the top at the networking level. The women tend to be underrepresented among the personal networks responsible for sourcing. Now this affects both opportunities and business deals, many of which are solely through networking and relationship. So women just lose out on some of the percentage over there. Now say they did go through it. The second part in this funnel comes to, you know, the interviewing and showing up uh, uh, over there. We've seen where the research shows, you know, men do better, you know, show themselves 50% better than what they are and women show 50% worse. Now, as a leader whom I have, you know, I have interviewed so many positions uh, and been on the, uh, uh, you know, evaluating side, I have seen this where both the candidates' profiles will be, you know, apples to apples, but one, how they sell versus the other, how they sell and come across. So surely that itself is the second where because of that storytelling and selling, overselling, there's a drop off right there. Or, you know, people are like, do we even get this person? The third, now say they made it through all of that as well. When they are about to, you know, join, women have to prove themselves continuously. So, you know, a default male leader is implicitly credited and trusted until they goof up versus a woman leader, implicitly they have to prove themselves and earn their credibility. This results in a uphill, uphill journey right at the start. So I feel like there is just so much things throughout this funnel in just setting the person up in the workplace to even like nothing, to, nothing to do subsequently down the line. Um, and it's it's just it's just so much eye opening that you know we have to change change that. That. It's, it's changing. There's hope and it's changing. <laughs> but it's like, it's like since men don't really feel imposter syndrome, I mean, some do, but it's definitely plagues women more as we've seen. And in talking to people, just anecdotally, if you, if you suffer from imposter syndrome, you're going to be less likely to sell yourself in an inner, you don't want to like t- overblow yourself and then, and then set yourself up for failure. And like, we just are thinking so much and men are just like, I'm the best. Like you would be lucky to have me. And we're like, you know, want to tell the truth and <laughs> have everything, all the cards on the table, be vulnerable. And, and you're so right. Something that I'm, I'm seeing in interviews is that, or I'm hearing about the interview process, at least now is that they're not doing uh, a lot of companies are diversifying a little bit and they're giving two tracks. So one is like a take home, um, like you have kind of your own, own time to do your own project, or you share like a code sample you already have versus the traditional in-person technical, super intimidating one. And I feel like that's a really good step because even not just for women, but for people of different personalities that like really like get that crippling anxiety under pressure, um, and can't prove, like can't show how, how good they are. Um, it, it really helps. It helps that because the interview process really is, is catered toward a personality that's like super bold, unbothered, <laughs> like can work under pressure. And guess what? We're never working under that pressure of a situation. Like our, our situations are not like we're not launching a spaceship. We're, we're <laughs> like we're doing some kind of healthcare like robot. Like we're we have time. We have some time to think. Sometimes we're under the gun, but, you know, we have time to think. So we don't need to like measure that ability. Um, yeah. So at least like, I think that's being looked at at least in the inner, like the technical portion of interviews and that it definitely should be. I think the other thing that is working, you know, that I try to incorporate and try to tell, you know, others around is how to, how to change our lens when we are representing ourselves, right? Like Mm -hmm. for me, um, 
I don't do a good job of representing myself or fighting for myself. But if it is someone in my team or a friend or someone, then I'll be like, you know, be able to stand for their fight for them or support them or argue. So I try to take that lens of thinking about when I'm negotiating or representing or fighting or standing for myself. I try to put myself as, you know, my daughter or my sister or something. So that gives me that extra strength and courage to be kind of, you know, more bold and confident. Um, So that's one lens. The other thing is also um, how to bounce off your, you know, all the tactics that you're doing with someone else. So I really appreciate my husband who has been such a good ally with me in this. And I'll be like this. And he's like, are you crazy? No, it has to be this. And I'm like, no. He's like, yes. And that has, and to my surprise, yes, I realized how much I was undervaluing myself or I was just kind of, you know, and I'm trying to still discover what is holding me back. Like, you know, it's it's something else. But look at surrounding yourself with people who believe in you, who value you, and who can be your confidant in kind of, you know, tossing things out um, and having more of your network to bounce off, get more information, to equip yourself with data, um, better. Um, and I think some of those techniques is uh, what has helped. I think one other thing um, that has also helped is um, I liked uh, in one of the sessions, someone was talking about the uh, Brad, uh, Brad, uh, Bradding rights or uh, Brad journal, Bradding journal. Brad doc. That's right. And I think, so I try to reflect back and see, no, I've been able to overcome these challenges. So kind of, you know, pat yourself in the back. Um, but uh, one other uh, technique is also I try to, uh, you know, think of I'm just a small piece of tiny particle in this universe or galaxy. And uh, so, you know, my problem is not that big compared to the universe and challenges. And so kind of switch out from that small mind to big mind. Um, and be more grateful uh, and look at the bigger picture. So I think some of those things help to remove the the personal aspect of it and kind of think more uh, objectively. I love that. I, I had a yoga instructor once who always used to refer to herself and encourage us to take the mentality of like, we're all just an individual drop in the ocean. So by ourselves, we're not really anything aside from just a drop of water, but together, you know, it's this entire unbelievable ecosystem. I want to pivot a little bit so that we can talk about all of the work that you do outside of work, uh, especially with helping encourage and lift up women to become leaders in tech and in engineering. So you co-founded this group, Women in the Tech Part of Tech, which is an exclusive group of these really successful tech leaders in Los Angeles, only in Los Angeles right now. Um, and it's so exclusive that I feel like I wasn't able to find that much information about it. So I want to hear from you, how you started this community, what you're doing, how you want to grow it. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was interesting because I think, um, for me, some of these things became much more, um, apparent after, uh, after my daughter was born. And as I was growing into the leadership roles, because as I was saying, I was naive before that. And so that's what kind of helped me to kind of come up with, uh, you know, helping out in these areas and foster uh, more inclusivity and uh, diversity uh, through these allyship. And um, at Microsoft, I had uh, done similar with uh, Women in Azure group. Um, and it was really amazing to be able to help out, uh, be part of those, uh, you know, uh, women's group, learn from them, and also in, be able to influence and help the leadership. So when I came to Los Angeles, it was, um, I came from, I moved from Seattle. Uh, I mean, that's where I'd spent almost 15 years. But the tech scene at Seattle was different from the LA tech scene. Uh, because of uh, Seattle having Microsofts and Amazons of the world. But um, so I was the 
looking at how to connect and how to foster this community. So uh, I met uh, Janine, who is who was the ex CTO herself, and right now she's a coach. And we met up at one of the uh, uh, I'm part of LACTO forum um, group, and we met up uh, as part of that. And there's literally like just you know a handful of women over there, like less than five uh, who are there in a session of uh, maximum. Uh, and so I was like, this needs to change. I'm sure there are more. Uh, we need to tap in then. And that's where I connected with her, and she was also wanting to do something similar. So we just kicked it off and she was kind of more native to LA. So it helped to, for her to kind of reach out and through word of mouth, we just started to connect with people and bring that uh, community together. And oh my gosh, just in the first year, it was just so impactful because uh, some of those women were not part of some of these LACTO forums or other communities where they did not even know about them. So we were able to connect them and place them there. Um, there were a couple who were able to recruit among themselves and they were able to find that right opportunities for them. So we had that as a second win. And the third win just being that we were able to have people open up, share their stories, learn from them, encourage them when they were in a bad relationship, like bad work relationship, to <laughs> have the courage to move out. <laughs> and um, so I think it was uh, it was really uh, profound to see that first year. And I think we are continuing that journey. I think where I see them going, uh, this group going is, um, how do we foster that next level of generation to coach them and, you know, bring them up and provide mentorship or coaching for that? As well as for this group, how do we take them to that next level of, you know, board or, you know, being able to have that more executive uh, uh, presence with, uh, you know, cross functions uh, and uh, and kind of, you know, have a way to support each other through those uh, changes. That sounds so helpful. Like we were talking about just women missing out on opportunities because of the networking alone, that first piece. And not being part of some of those boys clubs and the backroom deals and golf and whatever the heck men do together. But, um, but yeah, like just creating those spaces for women to connect and, and offer advice, but also offer opportunities is, is so important. Yep. And I think we, we forget, I still forget some of the, the time that is, there's nothing comes out as free. You have to invest the time in it. Mm -hmm. to build those relationships, to do that networking. And um, I still kind of, you know, uh, don't do that much as needed. Uh, but I think that's kind of bringing that visibility that this is this is a must have. It's not just a nice to have in today's day and age. You, you have to build the bridge first. You can't build the bridge when there's a fire and you're trying to <laughs> cross, the, <laughs> cross the river. <laughs> totally. And another sort of, uh, idiom that comes to mind is it's lonely at the top. You know, the higher you move up on the leadership chain, the less peers you really have at your level. And especially being a woman in engineering, that's doubly true because you look around and, you know, you're like, well, I don't really know if there's anyone else who shares my story and who I can relate to. So I, I think that creating this community is such a nice net also of fostering like psychological safety and um, also kind of probably like a sanity check sometimes because you hear other women who are saying, you know, like I deal with this too. And I have, and I, you know, feel like I have these, um, sort of barriers in place as well, that I, I don't know if my, if my male colleagues share, or I'm not comfortable, like bringing it up to them. Yeah. It's, um, it's so helpful. This also helps you when you're going into other opportunities or so as well to kind of tap in and see how that place's culture is or, you know, what other areas. So the more you have kind of this outreach and network, it just creates a, a huge uh, advantage to, to get that help. And yes, it's so lonely up there. So you need you need and you should be asking for all help possible. I'll just tap on. I'll 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 even reach out to random people if I've seen someone uh, and I've liked what they're doing or a 
specific piece that they talked about or something, um, I'll just reach out to them and say, hey, uh, uh, I would love your advice on this. Worst case, they'll say no, or they're too busy for it. But if not, then, you know, you you get to uh, make one more uh, connection. Yeah, networking doesn't have to be like, like a mixer in a ballroom with name tags. Like what we're doing right now is networking. Obviously, like we know each other, but still is like furthering the relationship and keeping in touch and talking about like vulnerable topics and things that we struggle with. Like that to me is the best way to network because you actually know the person and then you have some investment in their success and vice versa. So I think we're doing it right. (laughs) (laughs) Totally agree. (laughs) Bhavani, what's something now about building and leading teams of engineers that you wish you'd known when you took that first management role at Microsoft? Oh, wow. And I don't think I know all the things, so I'm still I'm still work in progress, and I'm still. Oh, sh- see, this is, this is a, no what man what man would say that also like <laughs> I I love that I love the humility, but like imagine us asking a man that he would never be like I don't have all the answers to so be like here's what you got to do boom boom boom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do yeah. have a lot of answers, Bhavani. <laughs> <laughs> because my thing is that. Uh, it's, it's my philosophy is that, you know, companies and people have to make sure that they're constantly evolving yeah. and adapting to the needs of the changing situation. And I feel like when you don't do that, you become kind of old school with old norms that you're trying to hold on that might not work now. So as an individual or as a company, you need to know what is the core essence that's working and that you want to hold on to. But at the same time, you need to know what are the aspects that need that are time to shed off because it's not needed in this next stage or the new skills that you need to adapt that is needed in the next stage. So I think that's kind of where uh, I see is how do you constantly keep that uh, growing mindset? Uh, but I think the, the way I see... Um, the, the essence that's kind of in my mind right now is kind of four things. One is kind of how do you obsess with customers, right? Um, and how do you connect your team to the customers? How do you tell them what that customer problem is? So you don't take a solution to a team, you take a problem to the team. Um, and how do you make them, you know, enable them to have that customer-driven um, and data-driven decision-making? The second aspect is, you know, uh, people, the core talent. How do you attract and develop? Um, And I think this is where, how do you represent a diverse and inclusive team? And that's not just on the minority representation. It's also on different people's experiences, right? You want people from startup. You want people from, you know, big size companies. So you want that cross-pollination. You want a good representation uh, of uh, the demographics as well, like uh, uh, so that it's representing your customer base. Um, so how do you not have how do you have minority uh, well represented uh, over there? And then I think the third area is the the culture aspect, right? So the how um, basically how do you build a environment? that enables, you know, authenticity, transparency, trust, empathy. And those are to the core of the heart. Projects come and go, but people and this trust is what is going to remain. So how do you foster for that? And how do you prioritize uh, for that? Um, and that's that's super important. That is where you have to build these relationships. And the last one is, you know, the, the what, which is the drive for results. So, you know, having accountability, ownership, how do you drive for the innovation and outcomes uh, for, you know, leveraging technology uh, to drive speed? Um, So kind of that's been my rubrics around, you know, um, the why, which is customer, the, the who, which is the talent and people, the how, which is the culture, And then the what, which is kind of, you know, drive for results and uh, ownership. Love that. 
just perfect rubric for, for all those budding leaders out there. Um, I, I mean, I think I speak for both of us when we just say again, like how much we respect you as a leader. And, and even in that short snippet, how I was saying, like, you know, what a man would never say, like, they're still learning, but what you're doing is modeling that for us and, and saying like, it's okay to be learning and I'll have all the answers. And that, um, contributes to that point about being vulnerable and like allowing people to be their authentic selves at work. Cause that's not always the case. Like if we didn't have a leader that was, you know, sick communicating in that way, we probably maybe wouldn't have a podcast like this. We maybe wouldn't feel as outspoken and, and like have this be available to us as something that like is actually a strength of ours. Um, so it's something that's so important that, that I feel like every leader should do. So I love that point. Um, I think to, to end, um, we want to like showcase that all the, the people we have on here are real, real people and have lives outside of tech. And like, we always talk about how, like, we don't have like a million side projects on the side, just code all, all day and night and all weekend. Cause like, we want to have vibrant lives. Um, what is something that is that you're looking forward to, or that's exciting you these days, Bhavani? Um, I think uh, I love being outdoor in nature and spending time with my family. Uh, my uh, sister, who is my confidant and who helps me tremendously with all my imposter syndromes and my voice in the dark. Um, so spending time with uh, her and uh, my nephew and my kids. Uh, I'm looking forward to doing some uh, wakeboarding in uh, summer. We usually... Uh, hit the beaches and do boogie boarding. So um, this time looking forward to uh, doing some uh, lake activities. Um, So we'll see how that uh, pans out. That sounds so fun. It's so hard to believe that we're so close to summer because I've lost such track of time in the past, uh, in the past few years, but we're going to be there. Also, it just happens to be a very like gray and not summer lake day today so but yeah we're we're here it's like mid-may it's wild Um, these days help us appreciate the sun when it comes out more i think we're getting into the june gloom they call right so that's true yeah and may gray gray. (laughs) i always forget about that until it's actually may or june and then i'm like why isn't the sun out and i have to remind myself like oh this this happens every year like (laughs) annoying normal um, well, Bhavani, thank you so much for this amazing conversation. Um, and, you know, despite the disclaimer that you gave of not having all the answers, you gave us a lot of highly qualified and intelligent answers that I'm super excited to share with all of our listeners. No, thank you for both of you, what you do. I'm super, super impressed and super thankful for the impact you both are having on the community and all the rest of both the allies and our minority people. So thank you. Huge, huge kudos. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.